classic. Classic. That was a classic, classic call out. You can't do East Coast Connecticut. East Coast Connecticut? What, what would that yeah, even be? Lang- language. I don't know. It's your weird, your weird uh, accent. You mean like going to the mall? I bought something the at the mall. mall. The, the, the mall. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Anyway. Don't get me started on you Midwestern hick things. What um, are you talking about? Jeez. What am I talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that's offensive. <laughs> you sound so stupid. <laughs> Not from Jersey. Jeez. Wow. <laughs> Goodbye, Jersey hop growers. Goodbye. Yep. Oh, well, we tried. They, st- they stopped listening a long time mm-hmm. ago. They probably did. They probably did. So when we, when we start airing this classic, my sound is so bad. Yeah. <laughs> so bad on this one. I think the, the onboard laptop mic must have picked me up instead of my uh, better recording mic. But, it, oh, I sound like I'm in an echo chamber. It, like, I, I'm surprised we actually put this one out there and didn't re-record. Well, I mean, the, I don't think we had time. Oh, we were really running hard to hit the weekly schedule. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think we had time. So we were, I tried to make a silk purse out of a sow's ear, right? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it didn't work out so well. Uh, but we got, I mean... Hell, we were having problems this morning. <laughs> yeah. So the technical things don't don't cease after I don't know how many hundreds of hours we've we've got into this by now. That's true. Um, it's still it's still a thing. It is. Oof. Anyway. Yeah. But the episode itself, have we said what it's about yet? We're like two minutes in. We haven't talked no, about what this is. No, uh, no, I don't think so. This was on pre-harvest marketing, and the idea that okay, you're you're getting ready to harvest you have to sell this crop so what can you do to get people interested without getting them in your way because you're going to have friends oh, hell, yeah. you're going to have looky lose you're going to have friends who want to come hang you're going to have brewers who want to come see what's going on and you know there's a reason there's a reason that schools have open house night when there's no class in session for a reason it's because you don't want people there <laughs> poking around asking questions when you're working so we talk here about field days and harvest days and you know how you can show things off without people getting in your way because, it, you know, how the sausage is made. You don't want people there when you're actually doing the work and, you know, sneezing on the hops and all that kind of stuff. You only want them there when things look pretty and clean. And I think the the only caveat I had to that is if you are set up explicitly to do this, like literally you have somebody that's there and all they do is tour guide. Mm. Yep. Because that, that's usually not you unless you have another farm manager who's who's sort of supervising the whole operation uh, it's it's usually it's usually not you as much as you want to schmooze and use this as a marketing opportunity and a sales opportunity you don't have the time there's that there's the there's the liability aspect of having those people on your farm um, all sorts of things that need to be considered it, i don't think it's a you shouldn't do it but it's a what is it that you're trying to achieve and make sure you're setting yourself up for success in that situation? Yep. Yeah, completely agree there. There is because you know what ends up happening. You end up doing everything. And the as you're walking around um, trying to get brewers interested in your crop, oh yeah, you know, can I stop by and see your operation? And before you know it, you've got eight or ten different visits going on all throughout harvest time and you're freaking busy. Yeah. Yep, and there's even if you could pause and 
you know, shake hands and go and just have a chat about your hops and do all the things that people like to take pictures of. Something's going to break. And, I mean, you're going to get called away. So, really, to do it right, you either need to have somebody else dedicated to doing this or you're going to do it and you're going to have those other people dedicated to running the operation. And that's, that's really it. There's no other way to get around it. Uh, you're you're going to be compromising things. Yep. Without question. So, James, we've been talking a lot of science lately. Mm-hmm. And I know we love our science. Yes, we do. But at some point, we have to get our faces out of the dirt and actually make sure we have someone to buy these plants. <laughs> yeah, why well, start now? <laughs> yes, sales always has to be on the on the forefront of the mind. That's for sure. That, that said, I would love some of our followers on Instagram to show us some pictures of their faces in the dirt. That would be good. I would enjoy mm-hmm. that as well. So we could talk today a bit about how to take that the ever so brief step back from your field and make sure you're covered for your sales and marketing plan. It's, you know, with the harvest coming up, that's the sexy time, right? So, you know, the hell with the rest of the year, nobody's paying any attention to hops uh, unless it's in some sort of new disgusting, uh, you know, bomb pop beer, which I just saw on Facebook this week. Gross. Yes, that looks absolutely foul. Yeah, yeah. Keep your lactose in your milk, people. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's it's the sexy time now. So let's strike while the iron's hot, while people are actually paying attention to you as a hop farmer uh and and you know are you ready for that how you know it's a it's like a golden opportunity for the year and it's also like the most stressful production time of the year so how do you balance both of those things because it can it can go sideways on you so fast so before we get into all that we do have some uh, some listener mail Ooh, listener mail and I think the last episode or two ago, we, we talked about some notes we got from a friend in Lithuania, mm-hmm. which is very exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've got a couple of questions and, and one piece of feedback here in particular. Let's start with the questions. Right. Uh, Paul Allen is in North Carolina and wants to know, um, in terms of a sweet spot for varieties, what should he grow or what should he avoid? In North Carolina, two things he should look for, absolutely, are varieties that are heat tolerant, and varieties that are downy mildew tolerant. Those are going to be the two things that will either encourage him to grow further or completely demoralize him. <laughs> so um, things that uh, that they should look for. So varieties like Chinook, Nugget, Glacier, uh, Brewer's Gold, anything in that family, very heat tolerant, very... Uh, durable very durable plants uh the the old standbys that people talk about you know cascade and and centennial and things like that are not going to like it there uh they struggle and so i would i would maybe stay away from those the the european varieties i would stay away from it's just going to be too stinking hot and too much downy mildew pressure i would look at the some of the new stuff that's coming out uh try triple pearl it seems to do quite well down there um there's one called triumph that's just out 
that you might get a shot. That just came out from the USDA this year. Um, not a lot of history there, so that's going to be an experiment. But you have some options. You also might want to check out uh, uh, what Dr. Holly Scoggins is doing at Virginia Tech. She's got a new variety down there that I worked with her on. And uh, give her a shout and see what she, uh, she might have to say about that. But uh, she's got a lot of experience in that neck of the woods with proper what works and what doesn't. So look up Dr. Holly. Nice. And the, the idea behind Triumph is interesting because you're right. There's no history, but there's also, I would imagine, virtually none of it out there. So as a new grower, you know, we're walking in with your stereotypical garbage bag of hops into the brewery uh, to say, I've got something that you haven't seen before. That could make them raise an eyebrow. Big time. Yeah. It's what's new. What's new. What's new. And it's been like that in the brewing industry for the last 10, 12 years. So, mm -hmm. again, this is a USDA variety, so it's open source. Uh, and if you can, you can get a hold of some, you know, all the power to you. I know there's some folks growing a good deal of it here in Wisconsin. Uh, not, you know, not massive acreage, but, but, a, but a few thousand plants. And some of our friends in Nebraska are doing the same thing. So we'll see what happens. Um, again, it's a variety bred by the USDA, bred in the conditions of the Pacific Northwest. So we'll see what happens here. Uh, but Triple Pearl came out of that program, and that is a freaking knockout star. So give it a shot. Nice. So another region, um, we've got Mark Helm, who's in New Jersey. He's growing Chinook, and he started seeing cones in mid-June and wants to know, was, does that timing seem right? Well, New Jersey, did you listen to the timing episode? <laughs> <laughs> you tell me. <laughs> what do you think, Greg? I think probably yes. It depends what he means by cones. So mm. if he's got burrs forming, the pre-cone flower in June, that's fine. But what we don't want is fully formed cones in June because that's just too damn early. Um, now, some folks certainly in the subtropics aren't going to be able to avoid that just because they're going to get so many growing degree days, so much heat that it's going to sort of trump the day length trigger for flowering and the plant's going to flower early. Uh, once that happens, then the plant's pretty much done flowering until it's next round. So your yield is going to be suppressed. But if that's the nature of your environment, so be it. But in New Jersey, no, no, you're too far north for that to be happening. So you've got a timing issue with your cutback and your training. You, uh, you, cut back or maybe you didn't and you train too early and certainly with chinook if you get that monster on the twine too early it's going to take off like a rocket and uh you're gonna you're gonna blow your timing so i would say it sounds to me like you were probably you either trained or you cut back uh probably two weeks too early all right so mark um there you go uh, one last um, comment more than a question, which I thought was interesting, and this is on the idea of why brewers put guest taps on. And we talked about this on an early, early episode, you know, since we've been doing this for so long now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, that was with uh, that was with Scott from the Vintage, yeah? I believe it was. Yeah. I believe it was. And we were talking about why why would you advertise for your competitors? And, and Chris, um, who's up in Maine, says that all the brewers – wear t-shirts from other breweries and there's a ton of cross promotion and everyone's just this big community who want each other to succeed and we see that very often that everyone's in this together and it's kind of the little guys together versus the big guy 
I, I know as someone who spent my career in large um, Fortune 500 companies, that's not the way things work. You are, you know, a big part of your plan is always how do I take from everyone else because the market is just the size that it is. And if I win, someone else has to lose. But it's so, um, it makes me proud to be part of this industry where, yes, there's camaraderie and there's a, a hope that people succeed together. I think it's a wonderful thing to see. Yeah, I think so too. But I would I would counter that a bit by saying, um, I think brewers are fantastically creative people. They don't necessarily make great business people. Um, <laughs> and because they are so focused on the craft, the art, and the what we would consider like the soft skills, like you're talking about, you know, the camaraderie and the relationship building. But ultimately at the end of the day, you're in business and what is your competitive advantage? And that's a whole different talk. But so I see, I, I notice the same things around here, Maine. I see that all the time. And I see a lot of what we call Wisconsin and Minnesota nice. <laughs> and if you don't know what Wisconsin or Minnesota nice is, it's uh, it's being all buddy-buddy and we're all in this together. And then as soon as you turn around, people are talking behind your back. So the there is this camaraderie. It's kind of a culture thing. But it's also, um, I think, I think a bit of a uh, a falsehood. <laughs> there's there's plenty of of rumblings underneath of that 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 I think can get people distracted. I I can see that. I, I hope you're wrong, but I can absolutely see it. I think there's also a nice way of using another um, another brewery's beer as a testing ground. If you're an IPA shop and you bring in someone else's lager and it does very well, okay, maybe you better think about putting the lager on tap. Right. So without going through all the work, you can just test run other varieties right off your own tap and see if it's a draw. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that, but I think you're right. All right. Well, thank you all of you for sending some notes to us via the website. Uh, we're going to try and answer as many questions as we can on the air. So please keep those coming or just hit us on Instagram. We're more than happy to start up the conversation there as well. So let's get back to the topic of the morning, setting the stage for how to sell during harvest season. Oh yeah. So lots of things you can do. Probably the most exciting and the most complicated thing you can do is a farm day is getting people out to the farm to see what's going on. Ugh, always such a pain in the ass. <laughs> But it's super important and probably the most impactful marketing gesture any hop grower can have. Mm -hmm. I think it's important right out of the gate to say there's a big difference between having a visit day and having the ability open there for brewers to stop by on their schedule. Because that might be easier for them, but it puts you in a constant state of having to keep things a certain way and be ready for those. It's kind of like if your parents are coming to visit at any given moment and you've got to have the house clean all the time. What, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, that's what I mean, exactly. <laughs> Having just made my kids scrub my house for two hours because my parents were showing up. <laughs> ah, okay, gotcha. I think that's important to note. Um, the, the brewer thing, 
I guess I think we covered this in a real early episode, but just how do you how do you approach that? And I think you just got to be straight up and forthright with brewers. I mean, yeah, if you've got a long-standing relationship and they're going to drop by, I think that's fine because you're not trying to really sell them on anything, but this is the reality. But if you're if you're trying to attract new customers, you got to put the spit polish on on what you're doing and because perception is reality. So it's it's sort of like sort of like, you know, when you first start dating and you don't bite your fingernails or pick your nose uh, around your date. Yeah, but you get into it for, you know, uh, you're into it for several months to a year and, and all of a sudden you're a different person. Um, it's, <laughs> well, you're, you're, real, you're the real you're person. The real, you yeah, want. exactly. So <laughs> that's, you know, that's something to keep in mind too there. So very important distinction. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's just popping into my head. Um, and this is interesting from a brewer perspective, so many breweries these days have that open curtain, if you will, where there's a window from the tap room into the brewery and they're constantly, um, being judged on how clean they are. And of course you're making the food product. You've got to be clean, but what happens in the doors behind <laughs> the open view, I, I knew you were going to go there if I didn't, you know, that's, um, that's the dungeon, so to speak. Oh yeah. My God. Yeah. They don't, there's a reason why they don't have windows into their keg cooler um, or, you know, into around, you know, you can see into the brewery, but there's this corner you can't see around because that's where all the open vats of caustic and, and hoses and pumps and, and rubber boots are. Um, so it's, it's sort of like, you know, don't look behind the curtain. You might be disillusioned. Um, a little bit, same thing goes with your hop yard. So I would say, let's focus on, um, let's, let's talk about hop yard visits and tours. Um, as a planned event. And I think it's it's fine to tell folks, unless you've got a very special relationship with a particular brewer, it's fine to say, hey, we've got an event this day. No, I can't have you out that day because you, you have a job to do, you're working. They would tell you the same thing if you tried to show up when they're too busy. So it, it is absolutely all right to put up the no there. Yeah, yep, I, I have no problem with that. But in regards to like a formal field day, uh, we see these a lot and I know it's out in your neck of the woods here in the central part of the U S and, and also the South Atlantic States do it too, where they have like university sponsored field days where they'll say, Hey, let's go around to, you know, four or five hop yards and, you know, get a bus and do a tour. And a lot of times they're like field days, uh, like educational field days and not just sort of a, a touristy thing. Uh, that, that I think that's one type of planned event, but the other type of planned event is, I think people are like, Hey, it's a harvest day. Let's go and, and see this happen. And they're expecting more of a party atmosphere. And it's important to make that distinction <laughs> very early on. If you certainly, if you're going to a be involved and certainly B, if you're going to be setting it up, uh, what is that expectation? Because if it's during harvest, holy balls. Uh, you've got a few other things you need to think about. So aside from trying to collect as many workers to harvest, now you have to collect extra people to help sort clean of, up after those people. Well, clean up after, after the other people came tromped around and watching other people harvest, but you've got to, I mean, you've got to set up babysitters. You've got to set up, you know, and not literal, but figurative babysitters. Uh, 
you've got to set up, uh, you know, water stations, you've got, and, and you know, beverages and, and it's just this, all this stuff. Um, you know, do you want, yeah. do you want these people tromping around all over the place? Or are you going to rope things off? Well, then you actually have to physically block things off. But believe me, people are like water droplets. They will get everywhere, no matter how well you think you've sealed the place off. So, um, are you ready to take that on? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you mentioned it as a, as a tour bus kind of thing versus as a party kind of thing. There's, there's the third one, which really happens right at harvest, which would be a hop rub or a true, this is a, now I'm putting my product out there. It's more than the, it's more than just about the yard. It's about, Hey, I want you to actually sample this stuff. That's, so that's a much more um, curated event. I'd say it is. And we would, you know, for instance, I think it was like four years ago, uh, with, uh, Arndt's Hop Haven up in, um, the center, central part of the state who now own Gorse Valley. Uh, we set up as, as a marketing event about, oh, July, we started reaching out to pretty much every brewer that we had that was within driving distance, every customer or future customer that we wanted. And we sent out personalized invitations saying, we are doing tours on these days specifically for brewers, brewers only bring your brew crew with you and because they're never going to or likely never to get out to the pacific northwest to see that scale so why don't you come see ours and you know we set up this little fire pit area where we could mingle and whatnot and but we would do usually two sets of tours a day one in the late morning and one in the late afternoon and sometimes we'd have three or four brewing companies there Uh, sometimes it would just be one but the value that they got out of that was incredible and they were always so appreciative but moreover for us it was they saw how serious we were about this and we weren't just another one of those you know backyard hop growers that was showing up with a garbage bag full of hops i mean i don't i think the first the first one of those we had i think we got like 15 new customers wow and then it just becomes uh, and did became it still is and bill's still doing it but sort of an annual event for a lot of those groups saying, hey, we're going to take you, if you stay, hey, Johnny, if you stay on as a tank scrub for the rest of the year, we're going to take you to the hop harvest up in Nakusa or whatever. And it builds that camaraderie and it moves on from just being a customer. So Nice. And the fact that it becomes an annual event, you can use that um, in a variety of ways. For one thing, it, it becomes something that, to your point, it, they use it as a carrot with their employees. But maybe you even take the next step and turn into some kind of philanthropic event where, you know, this year when we do our harvest, we're asking you to donate to so-and-so or you, you create some press out of it that way as well. Yeah. You know, one of the things I've seen is um, sort of partnerships with like uh, pet rescues or mm-hmm. uh, things like that where, you know, people always love to give money to pet shelters and stuff. So it's like, yeah, come on out to this day, whatever it happens to be. And, you know, but your admission is a donation of something to this group. But I think, you know, there's all these really great ideas uh, and we could just go on and on and on. And I would love to hear some ideas from from our listeners uh, that they would like to do or things they have participated in. But, you know, we have to talk about the reality of doing that during harvest time. It's a day you're losing. It's a big day you're losing. And do you you really have the ability to do that when we know that you've got like five days of perfect timing to get that crop off for any given variety is that really something that you can afford to 
minimize for the sake of a tour. True. True. So how are you going to set up for that? Because both are important, but the planning around that is, I mean, is not to be underestimated. It's a big, big deal. And part of the intent, of course, is to create goodwill, get customers. Part of it is to prevent the, you know, five individual two-hour visits from brewers that will destroy five of your days and pull you away from them. Um, does holding one big event guarantee you won't have drop-bys? No, it just no. doesn't. But this hopefully gives something, gives people something to look forward to. Um, but but the logistics of it, to your point, it's it's a day lose. There are days leading up planning for it that you'll lose at least part of. Yeah. And uh, we should probably talk about the insurance engagements here because but let's let's throw some uh, business reality on top of what should be a party splash yeah. <laughs> yep it is absolutely true um the the business reality of it the insurance is no small deal uh most farms if you're a professional hop farm of no matter what your scale is i'm assuming you have general liability insurance that's typically a, a million dollar blanket some folks have, we had 2 million, but it's, it's no joke. And unfortunately, talk about grinding my gears, simply putting up signs saying, this is a working farm. If you get hurt, it's your fault. Ain't going to cover it. Well, we had folks sign a waiver when they'd show up, I believe. Oh yeah. Yeah. But then, you know, our attorneys were like, well, that's fine, but you're still exposing them to hazardous conditions. And if you haven't taken every reasonable precaution, then you're still liable. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm liable because they're stupid. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm like, it's a farm. I don't, I can't guarantee I've filled in every pothole that somebody's not going to fall and twist their ankle. I know. Well, if you know there's potholes out there, you have to block that area off. I'm like, oh, for the love of Pete, really? Um, a sign that says binds are not for climbing is not good enough. Right. Keep fingers out of spinning equipment does not cover it. It's, it's ridiculous. If you ever look at the OSHA Occupational Safety Hazard Administration for friends of ours outside of the U.S. If you ever look at their guidelines and their requirements for agricultural equipment and guarding and protection, it's three pages. If you look at the OSHA guidelines for, like, I don't know, lawn chairs, <laughs> it's ridiculous. And it's just like, yeah, well, you got to recognize that agri agriculture is dangerous and you can't really shield everything and make it super safe from, from idiots. We, If you're a farmer, we assume you're not an idiot. Okay, so you set your whole farm up under those guises and so you're compliant, but then you invite a bunch of idiots onto your farm. <laughs> so keep keep just maybe look at it from that perspective. The first person who can hit us on Instagram with someone shimmying up a uh, a pole on the side of a hop trellis, I'm sending a prize to. Yeah, there's that. <laughs> there's people sticking their fingers in places they shouldn't and losing them. There are, you know, agricultural chemicals and residues all over the place. And people, you're going to say, ah, I went to your place and you had Roundup and now I have non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. No, just be aware. This is cynical, cranky old James, but... Just be aware that, that if you're going to host these events, you're inviting the general public into your industrial activity. And what is safe and acceptable as a risk to you as the operator is not likely the same for those people you're inviting in. So, yeah, it takes a lot to idiot-proof a farm, let me tell you. It does. And I would also say this is something you do to 
create goodwill with your customers and to market your product. Now, if you're thinking of using this as a profit center, it will never generate the amount of income that makes it worth the headache. No, absolutely not. Uh, there is a reason why we never became a an official wedding venue, because we did a because couple. we did a couple, but those were private events for friends. And um, really, the only time in the hop yard where it's super sexy to get married is right before harvest or during harvest. And really, yeah, you have other things to do. You're running you're running seven days a week and at least twelve to fourteen hours a day. Ain't no time for a damn wedding. <laughs> so. We, you know, we've talked about a lot of things that can go wrong here. So, so basic checklist here is you want a, a set start and end time. You need to make sure you've got parking. You've got um, facilities. And restrooms, yep. Port-a-johns or whatever. Yep. What, depending on the volume of people you're getting in, will we'll dictate how many of those you need if you need more than one. Mm -hmm. um, you, As James said before, you must rope off or lock or put a large dog in front of places <laughs> yeah. that you don't mm -hmm. want people to go. <laughs> yep, absolutely. If you are actually going to be harvesting and doing demonstrations, you have to make sure you've got that roped off so people can't get in and amongst the equipment. And even if you're not doing a harvest demo and people can get in and around the equipment, make sure the power's off, make sure, you know, that kind of stuff. You may or may not need to have food, but you must have water. It's, it's the summer, it's hot. Um, and you may or may not want to serve alcohol. That that adds a whole new set of there's expectation there because they're hops, but it adds a whole other layer of of potential problems. Yeah, um, on a variety liability. of liability, yep. and, liability, and it takes stupidity to kind of a new level. If you're if you're inviting brewers, they're going to bring beer anyway. That's just going to happen. Yeah, that's true. Um, but they brought it, you didn't. So that's something to keep in mind. Well, the, the good part of that is you can say, you know, sorry, we're not serving alcohol. Put that in the fridge and hope they leave it there. And then you've made out like a bandit at the end of it. <laughs> yeah, that never works. No, no. So it's it's like anything else we say, plan, plan, plan. The worst thing you can do is, well, I say the single worst thing you can do is just say, oh, yeah, stop by whenever. But, oh, but the second worst thing you can do is plan an event like this and not have an internal plan yourself and just say, oh yeah, come on over, you know, during the first half of the day on this Saturday, whoever wants to will light up the grill and we'll just walk around the hop yard. You, you gotta have a better plan than that. And um, know how to explain what people are seeing. You, the last thing you wanna be is apologetic when someone says, well, why is that kind of a mess? What's going on there? You can say, oh yeah, sorry, we should have cleaned that up. Or you can explain well, that's where we're staging this because we're doing this tomorrow and we needed to put it over here because of X, Y, and Z. Show your expertise. This is an opportunity for you to show your confidence in your farm, which is what's creating your product, which you want in their beers. Yeah. So it it shouldn't, it's not a game. It's not funny. Oh yeah, what a mess that is. I know that's been a wreck. There's a reason behind everything you do on your farm and make sure you can get in front of it and and explain it well because it just builds confidence you get one chance to make a first impression right so what is that impression you're going to be making to new potential customers and if your farm is a wreck and you don't see an issue with that because you think that new people will you know new customers will see beyond that you're wrong you're dead wrong it's just like you said earlier, Greg, it's like cleaning up the house before guests arrive. It's it's exactly what it's like because you can live and, and, and work around in your own filth all the time. But yet 
when guests come over, you do tidy up a little bit because you don't want them to think you're a slob because that's what they're going to remember. And same thing with, with brewers. They're going to be like, wow, my God, look at the weeds in this place. Look at the, um, you know, they got litter everywhere or there's birds nesting in the, in the drying facility. And there's, yeah. So the tidiness and the appearance perception is reality. If that's what they're going to see as their first introduction to what you're doing, you're going to have a hard climb to, to bring them on. Even if you give them super quality product, they're still always going to have that little thing in the back of their mind saying, man, that farm was a wreck. In, in terms of putting together a, a field day of some sort, we, again, as James mentioned, we'd love to hear about field days folks are doing. Feel free to put links to those events if you've got them coming up right on our Instagram. And, uh, you know, we'd love to hear more about them. And, heck, if there are any nearby, I'd love to go visit one. So let's let's hear about what's going on. Nice. So Excellent. So next topic here, um, as you're trying to sell your product, what about – you're asking brewers to come to you. What about going to them, you know, showing up at them with some early season samples um, or to maybe con- confirm orders or try and get some new ones? We- we've talked before about the stereotypical showing up at the back door with a garbage bag of hops, and uh, that's not the way to do it. Yeah, I'd really choose any other way than that. <laughs> <laughs> that's the one way to not do it. Absolutely. We should look at a new logo for Hopnology with just the garbage bag of hops. Just a garbage with some bag. flies lump- circling it. <laughs> yeah, lumpy garbage bag mm-hmm. and flies. Nice. So, first of all, you, as we said with the, the tours, you need a plan. You absolutely need a plan. You can't wake up one morning and go, I'm going to bop by a couple of breweries and chit-chat with, you know, John Smith and make sure that we're good on our order or that, you know, see if I can get some stuff in the door there. Um, you need to know well in advance who you're going after, what kinds of beers they typically keep on tap, what types of hops they typically need. You should have that already at this point. You've chosen your varieties, you're growing, you should know where you want your product to land. Mm-hmm. And then it's a matter of getting out there and doing it. The balance being that it's harvest season and you probably have work to do on the farm. I was just trying to think how to best to say this, but I think it's, if this is your hop farm, you are always selling, always. Every time you are you go into that brewer, every time you see that brewer, you are representing your product. And, you know, what are you going to do there? I mean, what what's that impression like? So when you go to that brewer, even if you just drop in, understand that yep no i'm just here to have a beer you know and that's fine they'll love to see you but don't expect to say hey yeah can i have 15 or 20 minutes of your time right now no you can't if you're going to drop off samples and you're just going to stop by drop them off don't stick around and ask them what you think about it but at the same time saying nope i'm not here to take up your time what do you want out of this exchange could you do me a favor i know you're super busy mr and ms brewer could you you know, rub these hops at when you have a chance and I'll stop back, you know, in a couple of weeks, see what you think, right? I just want your impressions or something like that. I'm going to get out of your hair now. Thanks for, thanks for the five minutes. I think that's okay just to drop in, but if you're going to drop in unannounced and expect to have a sit down, that's just rude. It is. It is. And sometimes you get lucky. Sometimes you, you, you saddle up to the bar, it's a quiet day and you end up in an hour long conversation and that's, that's luck. And it's something the brewer will likely remember, but you can't depend on that at all. 
to James's yeah. point, you've got to be respectful of their time the same way you wouldn't want them driving up to your yard and taking up an hour of your time when you had plans that day to get them things done. And for the love of God, don't take hop samples to beer festivals. Oh, yeah, what a waste of time. Yeah. Anyway. Um, the last thing I just want to emphasize, and I do think you said this already, was when you do do a drop-off like that, you, you still you need that ask and a follow-up that, oh, you know, I'm leaving this with you. I'll check back in in a week or two or three. Um, just you know, do me a favor and, and let me know what you think, and let's see how we can work together. But it can't just be a, hey, here's a sample buy, because you've given them no incentive to do anything with that sample. You know, it could be like, uh, you know, if it is an early, early sample, let's say you've just taken your first early variety off and you don't have a lot of it. Um, drop it off and say, hey, you know what? At the same time, we're we're going to be harvesting X, Y and Z in a week or so. Why don't you bring your crew by? Mm hmm. That's okay, because then it gives you another reason to engage with them over the sample you just dropped off. But don't do too much of that, because you don't want them all showing up on the, <laughs> on the same day. Because brewers are also notorious for piss-poor planning um, and communication. So they, uh, it's like, well, I didn't hear anything from you, and then you just brought 25 people. Thanks for that. Well, you told me it was okay to come out. Yeah, but I expected you to update me on your... Yeah, don't expect that. Right. You know, another little trick you can use at this stage of the season is you probably have a good feel for what your volumes are going to end up being. And when you do drop off a sample or two to say, hey, you know, this one in particular is coming along really well. We're going to be light on it this year. And if you want some of this, um, I think it's going to go pretty quickly. Yeah. Every every brewery you talk to is your secret nudge nudge best friend who you want the crop to go to first. I just gave away our good secrets. Sorry. Now, now, now the brewers are going, I thought I was your best friend. Yeah, right. No, they know they know me well enough. You are my like, best friend, Mr. Brewer yeah. is listening right now. You are. Yeah, right. They'd be like, Altwise, no way. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're smarter than that. <laughs> he didn't even clean his house when we were coming over that day. Totally, absolutely not. Why am I do brewers? No thanks. So suppose this is a brewer who you've already got a relationship with, and maybe you've got a hop contract, or maybe you've got a handshake contract. I'm going to put all those contract. Every time you hear us say contract, air see, think air quotes around it. Yeah, contracts are up there with sports contracts. They they don't they mean it, the world until one party or the other decides they don't. Exactly. Yep. Um, so that is a slightly different conversation. It's one thing when you're stopping in to say, hey, here's what I've got. Tell me what you think. It's something else when you're stopping in with someone who's made some sort of a commitment to buy from you already, or maybe they bought from you in the past. Um, mm -hmm. There you really do want to have a slightly longer conversation and confirm that, you know, yes, we talked about X pounds um, that you want delivered as soon as it's ready and another X that we're going to hold in storage for you. You do want to continually have those conversations because you can't assume, you know, assume makes an ass out of you and me. You cannot assume that what you guys had discussed early on in the season is still relevant or even that quite honestly, they remember that you had the conversation. Right. That's what I don't like about handshake contracts. Even if, even if they put it in writing, like through an email, this idea of contract is, is really laughable because what are you going to do? What are you going to do if you show up and that brewer said, yep, I'll take 500 pounds of Chinook. 
back in April and you're like, okay, harvest is coming up. I've got you, you know, pre-allocated for 500 pounds. And they're like, oh yeah, we, we're not going to make that beer anymore. I don't need it. But, but you told me I, uh... mm-hmm. I haven't been marketing the Chinook to anyone else because it was all for you. Well, sorry, man, we don't need it. Maybe your uh, approach there would have been to follow up with them once a month to remind them that they have this or that they could have alerted you earlier that they didn't need it or as much of it so you could pivot and and find a home for it. But as a small-scale grower, that's the reality of the situation. There is no piece of paper, no handshake, no nothing that is going to protect you from a brewer backing out because what are you going to do, sue them? Yeah. And you could try, but any attorney is going to look at it and say 500 pounds of what for how much these brewers don't have any money anyway what are you going to do what are you going to take and you've got to learn in this business to pivot with that and to learn some lessons when when someone backs out once okay um it doesn't mean you ghost them and and don't do business with them again if it happens consistently you know what there's a brewery on every corner yep so you have to learn to get your gut feel for those situations and decide who you're going to continue working with and who's burned you enough times. Uh, and, and we've, we found that we found that there were oh. people we just could not rely on. Um, and we stopped allocating. And I know we had situations where they come to us and go, Oh, but what do you mean you're out of this? It's like, dude, you, you, you've never actually held to a commitment you've made with me. Why would you expect me to hold product back that I can sell? Right. It was fine. You know, the agreement was all fine and dandy when they needed something, but when you need something out of it, then you're expected to, you know, bend to their will. No, it doesn't work that way. I don't want to go down this rabbit hole of contracts. We kind of already did. But I think the important take home here is don't wait until harvest time to check up on those handshake contracts you made in February or God forbid back in November. You got to stay on top of it. If it's a familial, you know, friendly agreement, constantly check in on it. And the, I think that's going to, you know, I'm not talking weekly. I'm, you know, maybe, maybe monthly saying, Hey, you know, are we still on track? Granted, if you did it in November and it's February for, for this coming year's harvest, it may not be that impactful to you, but, um, you know, certainly I would start hounding them probably three to four months out from harvest saying, just checking in because we are allocating and I want to make sure that, you know, our conversation from last January is, is still, you know, real. Mm-hmm. And if they're like, what conversation, then you're like, ah, crap. <laughs> and if this, if you're new at doing this, um, you need to make sure you've got your, your terms lined up well in advance. So you may be all set with, yes, you're going to take X of this, but what you haven't really discussed is, is there a deposit? Mm-hmm. Are they, are you being paid in full when you deliver? Are there 90 day terms? Is there a payment plan? Are you expected to hold X percent of the crop in cold storage until they're ready for it and they don't want all 500 pounds at once? These are, and do you have the facility to do that? These are all elements of that sales process that I know we've touched on in the past, but if you, if all you've got is a handshake for 500 pounds, all of those questions linger out there. And if they're a surprise when it's time to deliver, the, the cold storage and the cash in hand, especially that can really throw a monkey wrench into your business plan. Big time. So in other words, have a business plan, have a business plan, <laughs> have an agreement, 
have an understanding, have it, you know, and like I said, yeah, contract isn't going to save your, save you from this handshake or paper or whatever, but it will certainly, if, if the brewer is, has any integrity and they are going to go through with it, it will have laid down those expectations. Something else you can do, which is not really directly interfacing with a brewer is just to have some publicity around what you're doing. Um, I, when we started talking about visits to the farm and I said, hey, give us links on the Instagram account. Um, it, it's great to put out there, whether it's press releases or things like that, information about what you're doing because people will come to you. You never, you never know who's going to come knocking on your door if you get the word out there properly. I would cold call so many news stations and put out press releases on the right day. And believe me, there is a right day for press releases. Um, I remember this one, this year, good Lord, 15 years ago, maybe not even, maybe 12 years ago. It was our one of our local TV stations here in Madison. And I just called them up. They're like, you know, hey, news desk, uh, would you be interested in doing a story on you know, the resurgence of hop production in Wisconsin, because, you know, we used to be the largest hop grower in the country. It was like, when can you be here? <laughs> <laughs> and I got a prime spot on the, on the, you know, uh, 12 o'clock news and they reran it at, at six. And it was like a bomb went off in terms of, of people contacting us just from that simple outreach saying, Hey, are you interested in this? And certainly, um, Dan, as you guys know, Dan, the drying Dan, um, you know, he used to do all our press releases for us. And he would always say, if you're going to send out a press release, A, have it formatted correctly. And there's all kinds of help on that online. But he would say, send it out on Wednesday afternoon or Thursday morning because everybody's looking for a feel-good Friday beer story. And he was right. Hmm. Don't send it on a Monday because that's a hot news day from all the shit that happened on the weekend. Send it in the middle to the middle end of the week so that they have something that they can produce for the close close out of the Friday special printer or otherwise. And it typically, typically worked. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Get some, get some press. It never hurts. You never know who's going to come knocking on your door. Um, you know, especially maybe breweries and planning that you don't know about um, and are looking to start up some relationships, that's how they would find you. So always a great thing to get uh, your name in the paper there. Yep. And I don't care, you know, there's all avenues, you know, your local farm report station is always looking for something that isn't corn or cows, something interesting. Right now it's all hemp is all the rage, but you know, that's a flash in the pan. Mm -hmm. Um, the local university crews um, are always looking for stories. All your little country newspapers uh, that are usually uh, consolidated papers that serve, you know, the small little communities around, they're always looking for stuff. Anything that you can do. I don't, so there was a couple of our stories that got picked up by the AP and they were in the Wall Street Journal. Mm -hmm. And you just never know where the stuff's going to land. It's good stuff. It's worth the time it's, it takes, especially yeah. because formatting one press release correctly can go out all over the place. That's yep. Worth the time. But now's the time to do that because you can get in their mind about harvest coming up, and that is the sexiest time. They don't want to come out and when you're training, and they don't want to come out, you know, in the winter. There's nothing to see. They want to see these big giant plants. They want to see equipment. They want to see hop cones. Uh, make the most of your sexy time. As busy as you are right now, for the love of God, get pictures and video while the season is at its height. Oh, I can't. Yeah, I can't stress that enough. Picture, take pictures of everything. 
always snap, snap, snap on your camera because you all, there's always a need for it. The good and the bad. The good, the, oh, yep. You see us posting pictures of disease-ridden this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, it's, it's part of your farm's history, for one thing. Mm-hmm. But when you get into that off-season and you can spend a little more time on marketing and sales and maybe at some point you put together um, some stuff on a website, you're going to go, oh, I wish we'd gotten a picture of being, you know, up on the back of the truck um, hanging twine. Why didn't we get any pictures of that? We could have put that here. Well, right. do it now. And because all these newspapers or whoever's interviewing you is going to ask for a high resolution pictures, Mm -hmm. they all will, because they all, they don't always bring a photographer with them. So they say, Hey, do you have any high resolution pictures of X, Y, and Z? Yes. As a matter of fact, here's an entire file. Pick, take which one you want. And as much as we all cringe to do it, that includes pictures of yourself. It does. And your logo. Yep. You need a very high resolution logo picture. You need a, you need a face to go with it. Um, I'm, I know that what I said uh, off-season before James cringed because there's no such thing as an off-season in this business. <laughs> <laughs> non-producing season. Uh, How's that yes, sound? Yes. Yeah, the, the non-producing season. Yeah. What do you do in the off-season? <laughs> Punch you in the face. <laughs> oh. Well, I think that's everything we've got on... Um, on ways to get out there at this time of the year and sell. Um, again, we would love, love, love to hear some of your stories on what's working and what's not. Yeah, and let's use let's let's go back to that concept of, you know, all these small scale brewers are have, are in this together. You know, it's the same thing for small scale hop growers, and and unfortunately, I don't think we see enough of that. So let's all help each other and figure out. You know, hey, so and so did this, and it worked out really well. I'm going to try that. It's a good idea. But we need you guys to weigh in and give us those ideas.